You're listening to Conversation with the Experts, a Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub podcast. Hello, my name is Steve Lacey and I'm the Allied Health Education Fellow in the RCH Education Hub. I also work as a tutor radiographer in medical imaging at RCH. In an earlier podcast, we spoke with Janine and Chris from the RCH Clinical Hematology team who introduced us to haemophilia and a new treatment known as emisuzumab or EMI for patients with haemophilia A. Well, today we're going to talk about managing bleeds in children with haemophilia, and I am talking today with Erin Craig, who is a clinical nurse consultant in the Department of Clinical Hematology, and Nicola Hamilton from the RCH Physiotherapy team. Welcome to you both. Thanks, Steve. It's great to be here. Nicola, I'm just going to start by asking you a question. Given that you're part of the physiotherapy team, how are you involved with haematology? I'm involved with the haematology team. Um, I attend our clinics every week and I look after all the children who have um, bleeding disorders in the children's hospital. So people with haemophilia, I also look after the sickle cell population as well. So part of the haematology team that way. Fantastic. So in our previous podcast, we established what haemophilia is. And given that you're all part of the haematology team in some way, shape or form, is there actually a haemophilia team in the hospital as opposed to a clinical haematology team? There is actually. The haematology team is a general term for the whole broader team. We have the Henry Eckert Haemophilia Treatment Centre and that is essentially a statewide service and we provide care to all the children and young people with bleeding disorders across Victoria. You will find that um, our team is made up of medical staff, nurses, um, physios um, like Nicole, and data manager as well. And we collaborate to provide expert care to young people with bleeding disorders. Right. So you wouldn't find a haemophilia team in every hospital. Like For all of the children, they just come here. That's right. Exactly. So generally, every state or territory has a haemophilia treatment centre, and we consult and provide expert advice um, to regional and more rural areas. Right. Okay. Now, I know what a bleed is, because like when I cut myself or pick a scab or I might have some sort of traumatic internal bleeding, I know what that kind of is. But in the context of haemophilia, what do we mean by the term bleed? So when we're talking about a bleed in haemophilia, we're talking about a bleed that might happen into a joint or a muscle. So if there's a bleed in a joint or muscle, it can be painful and it can stop the muscle from moving and the joint or muscle swells. For example, I use this analogy. If you've ever had a corky or seen a corky uh-huh. in football, we, we, we're an AFL state. You know <laughs> that um, it can cause swelling. It can cause, cause pain and difficulty moving for the muscle or the joint around it. And that's kind of a bleed. So often I'll describe a bleed to my kids as a, as a corky. We um, also can see bleeds happen with tooth extractions, cuts, operations, mouth bleeds and nose bleeds. But generally when we're talking about bleeds, we're talking about bleeds in muscles or joints. Yeah, okay. I've often wondered with a corky as to why when some football player has a corky, why they have to be out for like two or three weeks and why it's not just something they can just, you know, get over overnight or something like that. Yeah. Now I know a bit more about <laughs> it. <laughs> so how do these happen and why do they happen? Well, usually they um, will happen as a result of an injury or a knock or a fall. And because there's a reduction of clotting factor in our children with haemophilia, when there's a bleed, the person bleeds for longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then they end up with an accumulation of blood around the injured area, so around the joint or the or the muscle. Okay. So are, are these bleeds always a result of an injury or trauma or can they just happen spontaneously? So most of our injuries, and I'm talking about severe haemophilia mainly when I talk about 
injury and trauma. Most of it are a result of an injury or a trauma. And the trauma could be minor or major or it could be unrecognized trauma. And sometimes bleeds can appear to be spontaneous, but usually there is a reason or an underlying cause to the bleed. It's just sometimes it can be difficult to know what's happened and why the bleeds occurred. Like they might have like knocked their leg on a table as a Absolutely. And they've not realized or yeah. they might have tripped and or you know, run in the playground and sort of twisted their ankle and haven't even thought about it. Kids fall all the time. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so for example, if a joint had a lot of bleeds in the past and has got joint damage, it may be predisposed to having more bleeds. So they might appear more easily or spontaneously, if you like. But yeah, usually it's a result of some kind of trauma or injury. Yeah, okay. And, And they're mostly internal bleeds, right? (laughs) Yes. I mean, bleeds can happen anywhere in the body, but the most common places are in the load bearing joints. So Mm -hmm. your knees, your ankles and your elbows and the muscles surrounding them. They can occur in the head if there's a severe head knock. Um, And often in babies, it can be in their bottoms because when they're learning to walk, they fall a lot Uh, onto their bottom. So often babies can get bleeds or hematomas in the in their bottom muscles in their glutes. Yeah, yeah, right. In the previous podcast, Chris was mentioning that there was a lot of patients that were wheelchair bound. And um, after we recorded, we were chatting after we recorded and we established that the reason why there a lot of them are wheelchair bound is because of the blood, like the bleeding into the into their joints and how bad that can actually be. Mm-hmm. Now, we also talked about the new treatment for hemophilia and we touched on the different percentages of normal clotting factor and when that's technically classified as haemophilia, what can we expect from the causes and the severity of bleeds with the varying levels of severity of clotting factor? That's right, Steve. So when we look at classifying our children and young people with haemophilia, we look at the percentage of factor eight, which is a protein in the body that we um, rely on for clotting. Mm -hmm. And so generally um, we would see mild haemophilia. We would expect them to bleed much less frequently we would not see them as frequently in clinic, for instance, require less care and attention from us. They might experience some minor nose and mouth bleeds or some bruising. And in the setting of a procedure or surgical plan, we would need to um, assist potentially with them requiring some treatment. Yep. Then on the other extreme, we have our severe group and they're the ones, like Nick was saying, that do require some more intensive care and bleed more frequently into their muscles and joints. And we would expect them to require prophylactic treatment and that's mostly to protect damage to their joints in the long term. Then we have a bit of an in-between group of patients called moderate haemophilia and depending on their percentage of factor eight and their bleeding phenotype, so every child has a different bleeding phenotype and it just predisposes them to more or less bleeds and we will make decisions based on how many presentations they have to hospital with bleeds, whether they require treatment or not. Yeah, Janine did mention that the moderate ones can either have really severe symptoms or really mild symptoms sometimes as well. That's right. And it it is a very individualised plan of care as far as what treatment we we provide to the moderate group. Yeah. How do we manage these bleeds in an acute setting? Sure. So I guess, first of all, we have acronym called PRICE and that stands for prophylaxis and protection. So prophylaxis meaning treatment and protection meaning protection of that area of the body. So a joint or a limb, we would expect to splint or keep that area protected. R is for rest, I for ice, C for compression and E is for elevation. That's pretty much first line as far as treatment goes and what we would um, provide first aid advice for families at home. 
children, young people with haemophilia are, like I said, deficient of a factor protein. What we would then need to establish is whether they require a treatment for that bleed. So treatment meaning we would offer them an extended half-life recombinant factor eight product or factor nine product, depending on what protein they're deficient of. Yeah. And then there's also a factor of whether they have an inhibitor, which is another whole conversation. Yeah, about, well, we did talk about um, that in the last podcast that last as well. Yeah. 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 That's um, quite complex, but these kids can be quite challenging because they need a different agent called a bypassing agent to treat their bleeds. Yeah. So we would um, often ask our families to contact us initially. Obviously, if it's a very obvious bleed, they would treat at home if they've got the capabilities of. And we we provide provide a triage service from our department in our in business hours as well as contact after hours through our haematologist. When we have any sort of suspicion, though, if of a child presenting to any department with a potential major bleed, we our main I guess message is that we would not want factor treatment to be delayed based on assessment investigation. So, if you um, have a child that's presenting with a major bleed, then don't doubt or suspect um, whether treatment's required, you would always treat if in doubt. Yeah. We also have patients presenting can have part of the Australian Blood Disorder Registry yeah. and that has um, details of their disorder and their treatment. So they often carry that with them. So if they do go to a regional hospital that isn't familiar with um, their disorder, then the, the details can be shown then. And regional families do have often have a small supply of factor treatment at home in case of an emergency, as well as regional hospitals. Some of them also have a supply of the factor replacement. Right. So if someone is presenting to a hospital that is not the children's hospital, then they should contact the haematology team or the, the, the haemophilia team, I guess, here. And is that a 24-hour service that you guys provide? Like you've got it on call and things like that? Exactly. That's right. Yeah. Yep. So we always provide a consult or any advice any, any time of the day, absolutely. Do the guys in ED here know how to treat the haemophilia ones without necessarily having to contact you? It depends. Um, I guess it, uh, each child is different. Sometimes families come very confidently. We're always advising that they do contact the haematology team. The electronic medical record is amazing because we do have um, a great resource there. And so it's very clear what treatment this child would require in, in the event of a bleed. But generally speaking, we do get, um, expect to be contacted um, when the child does present. Right. And you kind of mentioned before that it, it, if there was ever any doubt about the treatment, then you should just give the, the factor rate anyway. Absolutely. Is there a ramification if you didn't need it that you actually gave it anyway? No. Okay. <laughs> no, no, there's no. no risk there. No, if in doubt, treat, and that's been the, the, the sort of message for a long time. No, that's good, and it's very good to know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about the rehab of these patients, Nicola? Yeah, so it really depends on the severity of the bleed and how the bleed's been managed. Um, so a lot of our parents know how to manage bleeds at home. We've taught them the price regimen from a very early age. And really the most important thing is to rest the limb for 20, sorry, for 48 hours and wait till swelling and pain have gone and the movement's back to normal. So rest can be in a sling. It could be having the limb in a splint. It could be using crutches. And really we want to make sure that this joint or muscle is back to normal before they start back to activity. And most of our kids have got crutches at home. They've got, say, tubi grip, which is a compression bandage. They often have ice packs for pain relief. And so they're very able to manage their 
bleeds at home if they're not too severe. If some bleeds are slower to resolve, they will need specific rehabilitation to Im improve range of motion and strength and function of the muscle or the joint. And after every bleed, we want the joint or the muscle to go back to normal. We want it to be back to how it was before it had a bleed so that it's at optimal, optimal health. Right. That would lead in then to potential long-term implications? Yeah. So there are long-term implications of bleeds. So haemophilia, although it's a bleeding disorder, us physios say it's also a musculoskeletal disorder because blood can damage the joints. It can damage the cartilage in the inside of the joints. And that can lead to changes in the joint's ability to move and it can ultimately lead to arthritis. Mm -hmm. um, muscles and joints can become weaker, they can lose flexibility and a joint can become unstable. And this makes the joint and the muscle more pr prone to bleeding episodes. So we call these joints that have recurrent bleeding episodes a target joint. Right. Um, so they're at more risk of damage or recurrent damage. Um, so it's important that bleeds are treated quickly and that the joints that are more prone to bleeds are rehabbed well. So we really want our, our joints to get back to as, as good as new as quickly as possible. Which joints are more common? I, in my experience, I would say ankles. Ankles are our joints that I think oh, are... Oh, really? I just yeah. keep picturing knees and hips. Generally, it's, it's elbows, knees and ankles. So they're our real weight-bearing joints. And I think the challenge with ankles is that, that they move in such dynamic ways. Yeah. And they're such... a they're actually quite a small joint, really, mm -hmm. and they have to endure a lot of activity. And especially because all, of, you know, our kids all play sport; they do lots of activity, which we encourage. But ankles, I think, I would say over the years I've been working as a physio in haemophilia, I think ankles are more prone to bleeds more so than the other joints. Knees, elbows, and ankles are weight load-bearing joints. Yeah. And it, it sounds to me by using the, the price technique that some of these can be treated at home. How often would they have to come into hospital? All of our children, are, our families are taught to, to treat at home and can treat at home. But really, when we want, we want them to come to hospital when they can't manage it at home. And I think, Erin, you can speak a little yeah, bit more to I was, that. I'll mention about um, the prophylaxis for our mostly our severe group of children. Mm -hmm. And our haemophilia CNCs, like myself, will teach a family how to self-infuse and that's initially through a portacath and then they will transition to vein, peripheral vein training. Then we have some new therapies which Chris and Janine have touched upon. It's actually revolutionising our care because it means that at the, our children are bleeding less, they're requiring less treatment for bleeds at home and eventually we expect that this skill of self-infusing will become redundant so I guess it, it probably will mean that there will be an increased number of patients that will need to present to the ED um, department for treatment. Chris, when we were talking with him about it, he also used the term revolutionise as oh, well. So this maybe is obviously I'm, a very uh, common theme in the haematology <laughs> department. So. And then post-treatment for the bleeds, what is the role of the patient's family in, in managing them at home? What support do, can the haemophilia team provide? Sure. So Nick has mentioned a few times price and that's essentially um, the base, the first line treatment as far as providing care at home, we would often recommend families contact us initially, mm -hmm. especially now with emisuzumab. We're trying to, I guess, understand the, the way that our children are bleeding and how they're presenting and it's, it has changed. So we, we need to be able to have conversations with the families to help make those decisions based on um, their symptoms 
And so, uh, like I've mentioned, the Haemophilia Treatment Centre, um, we have a triage service in business hours. So we generally ask families to contact us and then we will nut out um, a plan based on how their child's presenting. And if we've got any concerns, we'll always um, advise them to present for an assessment here at RCH or their closest um, ED. Yeah, great. With this new treatment, is there any new or different way that bleeds are treated and managed? Absolutely. Um, and it's still something that we're learning, as I mentioned. Um, we haven't seen a lot of bleeds since children have commenced on the new treatment, which is amazing. And I will give an example that there was a child that had an accident off a trampoline and knocked his two front teeth out. And this was a child with severe haemophilia yep. and um, didn't require treatment, had very minimal bleeding. Wow. Still presented to the hospital, but they didn't require treatment, which is amazing. Oh, so we, we sort of are seeing examples like that where the normal bleed treatments aren't required. So what we are sort of asking families to do, instead of just um, automatically assuming that perhaps painful joint or muscle is a bleed, we ask them now to watch and see. If there is suspicion, to maybe wait one to two hours just to see how, with obviously with the price as far as resting, ice compression, and then we'll help them make a decision based on their symptoms from there. We still are treating bleeds. We're not putting our children at any risk, but it's definitely um, a bit more of a conversation rather than to head straight to the fridge and grab some factor. I think yeah. It's, um, and it sounds very much in line with what Chris was mentioning because he was talking about very preliminary results of some early um, research that they're doing into the use of emisuzumab with sport and the fact that it really helps like in terms of the Absolutely. prevents mm. the bleeding. So post-treatment and management of the bleeds, what are the restrictions on what these haemophilia patients can do? Can, can they play sport? Obviously, we just talked about the fact that they can. Yeah, so our aim is after every bleed in a joint or muscle um, is to get them back to normal and the patient get, can return back to normal activity, including sports. That's our aim. We want to get them back to normal. They may have restrictions on activity until the bleed is resolved and often that's the hardest part because they really want to get back to normal and sometimes they can feel a lot better without any pain but there might still be a restriction in their range of motion or it might still be swollen. So as physios, we're often given the bad rep because we have to tell them to stop playing sport for a few weeks. <laughs> I always try and use the sports analogy, you know, um, you know our, even our, you know, top level athletes have to have a rest if they injure. So, um, but yeah, we really, we do restrict them to get the joint and the muscle back to full function, but the expectation is they get back to what they, they love and they play sport and they can get back to it. And how much compliance do you get with these types of stuff? Oh, look, compliance. Look, generally... They're pretty good. And I think if they've had a couple of bleeds and they kind of know the outcome, they will definitely be a little bit more compliant. I think the tough one is the the little people yeah. because obviously you can't really tell a two or a four-year-old not to do anything. So often it's trying to restrict their activity, maybe stop them from climbing and jumping, but it can be tricky. But, you know, they're all in all, they're pretty good, I would say. Yeah, just put on a lot of bluey and... That's Epic right. And, and like that. you know, we do, we do say, you know, as much as you want to reduce screen, screen time, sometimes we have to optimize the iPad. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So looking at the perspective of other clinicians in, in the hospital, and I'm kind of thinking about medical imaging, for example, if we've got patients coming in for treatment or, or an examination or something like that, and it's unrelated to hemophilia in general, is there anything different that we as clinicians need to do with these patients in order to prevent bleeds? Because I can imagine if I knew that a patient had a hemophilia, I might be a little bit more gentle in terms of the way that, not that I'm not 
not gentle. gentle. But <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I don't think we need to be particularly gentle. Um, we see our kids are very quite robust, you know, in general. And as like Nick was saying, that sport, sports, we don't limit them. Um, if they're injured, obviously you might be um, a little bit more cautious. I will say that if, if our children presenting for dental or surgical procedures, that's, that's different. We do mm-hmm. need to liaise with the surgical teams, the dental teams to provide a surgical plan. Usually if they have severe haemophilia, they'll need some um, prophylactic treatment prior to the surgery. We provide um, advice to all clinicians across the hospital and in the community. So we just, I guess when you ask being gentle, I don't know if that's um, required. I don't know, Nick, what do you think? Oh, no, I, we just tell people to treat them like a normal child. They're not fragile. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That's good. Steve, we, we have a lot of these questions from teachers and schools mm-hmm. and it's probably quite similar. Um, we do, we don't like our children to feel that they're being treated any differently. So. Yep. We do provide great treatment so that they can then live a normal, functional life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and for the the revolutionising of emisuzumab, probably less reason to worry about That's it. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. So just finally, for those listening out there who may come across patients with new bleeds in other clinical centres, how do they get in contact with the haemophilia team? Sure. Okay, so families will always have our number on speed dial. We have obviously got, like I mentioned, the in-hours business hours number that you can contact to speak to the haemophilia CNCs or the data manager. Um, they can offer clinical advice and refer to one of the consultants if the need arises. We also have the on-call haematologist via our switchboard. These contact numbers and email addresses can all be found on our clinical haematology department webpage. Yeah. Thanks very much, guys. This has been a really fascinating conversation, to be honest. I have learned a lot today. The haemophilia team are a really great team and a really great resource. So if you have any questions about the management of patients with haemophilia or bleeds, then please do contact them. And because we're coming to the end of the podcast, I'm just going to say it one more time. <laughs> Emmy Susan, <laughs> my favourite word. Well done, well Steve. Done. You perfected it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot for the chat, guys. No worries. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Conversation with the Experts, part of the Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub podcast series. If you'd like to hear more of our podcasts, check out our other podcast show, Teach, Think, Treat, where we discuss aspects related to teaching and learning in a busy clinical setting.